This is District Sentinel Radio. It's the newscast of record for the left. I'm Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. And we're broadcasting out of Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. I can smell the garbage can already. We've got that coming out at the end of the show. Got some file follies to get to. And some news. Boy, the news is uh, wild this week, Sam. We've got another huge-ass leak. Yeah, it's been a while, huh? Yeah, well, this is probably, this is, the I think, the biggest Pentagon leak since, uh, you know, there's obviously been the Edward Snowden NSA leak. There was the uh, CIA leak um, of the uh, the hacking tools. Oh, the, uh, oh, oh, wait, no, that's NSA, tailored access operations or... Yeah, that was the NSA one. The other one was the uh, brokers, something brokers. Oh, shadow brokers. Yeah, yeah. That was Uh, when the CIA guy was trying to sell the secrets for a whole bunch of money. Was that it? Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're in the midst of that again. Another big leak. This one uh, directly concerning uh, the Pentagon and documents that had been circulating online for a few months now. Um, Images of top secret documents documenting uh, the war in Ukraine and other U.S. intelligence activities. Well, uh, the feds have arrested uh, the the leaker. The leaker has been caught, folks. The leaker. And, uh, you know, we, uh, on principle here, I think, don't support prosecution of leakers. Um, and there's, like, no question that the Information that has been disclosed has uh, revealed information that's in the public interest in terms of how the war in Ukraine is going, which is being financed in a large part by U.S. public dollars. And U.S. officials appear to be lying to the public about how that campaign is going. Uh, A pretty dismal view within these top secret documents about uh, Ukraine's potential to uh, win this war. Um, it talks about how Ukraine is running out of air defense munitions, how it's unlikely that a spring offensive will bear much fruit. Uh, there was also revelations that the U.S. that had to have been gleaned from the U.S. spying on allies like South Korea um, and also Ukraine. Uh, information about NATO countries having special forces boots on the ground in Ukraine right now. So lots of, you know, newsworthy information that has been reported by major news outlets based on these documents. So let's put that out there immediately. Having said that, I'm not really sure this guy's a whistleblower. (laughs) No, Um, but yeah, I mean, it's... I immediately understood his motivation, which is he was risking it all to impress some strangers online. Yes, yes. And I wonder if, like, how that comes into play in terms of how they're going to throw the book at him. If he argues, like, oh, this wasn't really supposed to be public. Um, You know, I just wanted to impress... uh, my fellow gamers. I also wonder if 
they're going to go uh, lighter on him than they would just because he seems to be kind of a right-wing psycho. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's like a Catholic libertarian gun enthusiast. Also, like, racist, anti-Semitic weirdo. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I don't, I don't think a prosecutor is going to obviously leave any paper trail of like, oh, this guy is just like me and therefore I'm going to go light on him. But I will never, I will never be, I will never be convinced otherwise. Like, obviously prosecutors are going to see something of of, of themselves in this guy and go lighter on him because of that. Prosecutors charge Jack Jack Teixeira with unauthorized retention and transmission of national defense information and unauthorized Mm. removal and retention of classified documents or material. Yeah. So previous leakers such as who who actually operated in the role of a whistleblower where they divulge state secrets to journalists in the interest of that information information being disseminated to the broader public. Uh, Yeah. Edward Snowden, Chelsea Manning, reality winner. Uh, Thomas Drake, Daniel uh, Hale. John Kiriakou, Daniel Hale, uh, all reporting so far on Jack Teixeira, who uh, is a member of the Massachusetts Air National Guard. He also worked tech support on base, which is how he had allegedly had access to these um, documents. And all reporting so far indicates that he did not want these documents disseminated uh, to the public. The Washington Post interviewed uh, someone who was a friend of Teixeira's also interviewed people who were in that Discord, private Discord group, where these documents were first made public. And uh, according uh, to this to this reporting, uh, this is from the Washington Post, quote, sharing the classified documents was meant to educate people who he thought were his friends and could be trusted Free from the propaganda swirling outside, a friend of Chishera said, the men and boys on the server agreed to never share the documents outside the server since they might harm U.S. interests. <laughs> the outlet added, quote, Teixeira didn't seek to undermine national security, but hoped to teach the mostly younger members on his server, quote, a better view of the issue the only way he knew how. He loved America, but simply didn't feel confident in its future. Friend said, at the end of the day, Teixeira would side with this country over any other. So based on the reporting that's out there, and we have not heard from Teixeira himself on what his motivations were or his attorneys, uh, I would be interested in hearing that. But based on the people who were in this Discord group and whatever reporting that's out there, Teixeira was doing the opposite of what a whistleblower does, right? He was not trying, he was trying to keep these documents from the public. He was sharing them with his friends under the condition that they don't disseminate that information uh, to the broader public. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not calling this guy a whistleblower just yet. Having said that, on principle, I'm against prosecuting leakers, especially leakers who are happen to divulge secrets that are in the public interest, whether or not they meant to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this guy sucks. And uh, also you'll never see me 
wishing that they would use the Espionage Act on him. No. You know, th- th- this isn't like a Kyle Rittenhouse situation where, like, you know, the effect it's you know the 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 chill effect of using the espionage act is uh is bad and the espionage act sucks ass yeah and if he was charged under the espionage act the point of whether or not he was a whistleblower is moot because that act doesn't allow defenders defense to uh the defendants to make an argument that they were motivated by the public interest to disclose this information it is the uh, four-year anniversary of Assange's arrest. Um, he's currently fighting extradition to the United States. He is facing espionage act charges. Uh, there is a is renewed insane. effort. It's like yeah. <laughs> uh, there is a renewed effort on Capitol Hill to uh, urge the Justice Department to drop all charges against Assange and stop extradition proceedings. There's a letter being circulated by progressive Democrats. Um, the letter was written by Rep. Rashida Tlaib. Uh, it's got members like Jamal Bowman and Ilhan Omar and AOC signed on to it already. Um, yeah, Assange has fucking been incarcerated now for four years in prison, but uh, under house arrest or under uh, uh, confined to an embassy, you know, almost a decade. Yeah, I mean, it it is it does blow your mind. I mean, if you go after the national security state and you use means that are legal to everyone else, like they don't care. They're they're going to fucking like they could go on and on and this could ultimately end up with like a court throwing out Assange's, you know, charges. But he's already his life has been ruined already. Yeah, they don't have to find him guilty of anything to just absolutely ruin his life. Yeah, the Biden administration talking about how they're going to look into how to better monitor social media networks for classified information in the future. Uh, They're already doing that shit. (laughs) There's already way too much time devoted to monitoring public information on social media. This is just, yeah, you, you can't keep this information from the public at the end of the day because you have members of the public. Too many secrets and too many people who have access to right, those secrets. Exactly. If you're going to be giving like a uh, 20-year-old Kekistan fans uh access to the pentagon's troves of top secret information what the fuck do you think is gonna happen i mean ultimately it has to happen because like we have such a sprawling goddamn uh secretive you know military state that this shit just has to come out yeah anyways uh yeah this sucks. The prosecution of Teixeira. Uh, Teixeira seems like an idiot himself, but uh, he did. Piece of shit. He is He yeah. is a piece of shit. He did. Um, Guilty of being a piece of shit. Yeah, he did incidentally reveal to the world uh, information that is important. Uh, that information being that the war in Ukraine needs to fucking end. That 
there needs to be pressure applied to to find a negotiated end to this conflict. I know that uh, we talked on last week's show that a lot of other countries in the world are on board with finding a peace settlement here to end this war. Lula down in Brazil has been pushing for one that involves uh, conceding Crimea. The top secret documents show that the U.S. is not at all anticipating any sort of peace talks this year. I mean, why Why would we want to? It's it, it, all the psychos who are in power just see this as, oh, Russians are dying and therefore and we're not. And therefore it's good. Yeah. Defense companies' profits are soaring right now. Oil companies, too, that have been able to take advantage of the uh, sanctions on uh, Russian fossil fuels flowing into Europe. Yeah. And actually more on that in file follies. That's right. In other news, more Clarence Thomas revelations here. Uh, he wasn't just accepting lavish travel and vacation gifts from Texas real estate billionaire Harlan Crow, who, by the way, we didn't mention this too much on last week's show. Turns out this guy is a major Nazi memorabilia collector as well, Mr. Crow. <laughs> I think that story came out uh, over the weekend after we recorded. Yes. Yes, he has. What, what is it? Something like a garden of evil where uh, he has a bunch of like statues and memorabilia devoted to communist regimes, whereas all his Nazi memorabilia is displayed like in his size's house and is on like in bathrooms and stuff and curious little things that guests can see scattered all over the house. Not in the Garden of Evil, mind you. It's uh, displayed prominently around his home. When you're when you're in the powder room, just uh, you know, freshening up. Yeah. Well, uh, ProPublica released a new report this week showing that uh, Thomas also benefited from Crow purchasing his home and uh, other properties that are in the Clarence Thomas family. Uh, Thomas's mother lived in one of these homes and Harlan Crow, after he bought the home, spent tens of thousands of dollars renovating and improving it. Now, uh, he bought these homes above market value. <laughs> uh, he spent over a hundred thousand uh, dollars on these properties. And there is a requirement for federal judges to disclose real estate dealings over a thousand dollars. Do you think Clarence Thomas disclosed this real estate deal that was over a hundred thousand dollars? <laughs> no, no, he didn't. What I love about this is that the same year he, you know, he filed a a detailed financial disclosure, uh, which ProPublica notes includes a stained glass medallion that he received <laughs> from Yale University. And he also mentioned a new life insurance policy. Hmm. But not um, the $100,000 he got from the Texas billionaire. No. Who also <laughs> who bought other vacant lots on the street that just happened to cost $40,000. <laughs> uh, Crow saying that he bought the house 
you know, Crow has used his defense for all this lavish spending by saying, oh, well, uh, Clarence Thomas is a family friend. This is how I treat all my friends. Um, generally, people don't like buy their friends homes uh, when when it's necessary. So Crow, Crow's excuse here is he bought the home to eventually turn it into a museum honoring Justice Clarence Thomas's life and accomplishments, which one hands down will be the worst museum in the country immediately <laughs> like the dullest worst museum uh two that doesn't preclude there being a disclosure requirement of that purchase still just because crow is going to buy it to make it into a museum doesn't mean that clarence thomas did not need to disclose this purchase or this sale yeah no- nothing's gonna happen to him though huh no i mean i do think that maybe these stories are stressing him out and that's not good for his health which is really like the (laughs) the only check on his power so i guess that's good i mean i i'm obviously not saying that uh pro publica shouldn't be doing this reporting it's it's fantastic reporting and you know they, they deserve to win many many awards for it I'm just like I I guess it's my own impotent rage at the fact that like nothing ever happens to these people which is one well, the re- reason why the the Trump prosecution gives me some glee. Well, the only people who could do something about this are Democrats in Congress who do have the power to exercise oversight on the court and could impeach Clarence Thomas. But rather than immediately calling hearings, impeachment hearings and investigating this, uh, you know, playing the same sort of politics that conservatives would do if they were in this situation. Uh, We have Senate Democrats writing a letter to Chief Justice John Roberts asking him to investigate (laughs) these issues. Dick Durbin and 10 other Democrats wrote a letter to John Roberts you know, using those rhetorical flourishes of, oh, public confidence in the court is waning. Aren't you concerned about this, Mr. Chief Justice? Shouldn't you be launching an investigation about this? No, fuck no. John Roberts does not care about this at all. At all. <sighs> they investigated the leak and what did they get out of that? Nothing. Nothing. Because they leaked it. Because one of them <laughs> leaked it. <laughs> Look, even if they That is are... one leaker I would have supported prosecution of, by the way. <laughs> uh, e- even if you assume that the Supreme Court is doing a credible investigation, like you do your own investigation. You're the Judiciary Committee, man. Dick Durbin is so, so unbelievably ill-equipped to deal with this situation. And... I mean, Senate Democrats are in general, but my God. Well, at least Dianne Feinstein is still on the uh, Judiciary Committee. I saw you wrote in the notes here, rip Dianne Feinstein, and I had to Google to like, because I thought maybe she had died. (laughs) I was like, whoa, is this breaking news? Uh, no, I mean, she might as well be given like, like the amount of effort she's putting in 
to legislating over the last few months. She's not been in Washington. She uh, has not been voting. She's not been doing committee work, which has uh, screwed up the Judiciary Committee being able to uh, move President Biden's judicial nominees out of committee and have them confirmed because Democrats have such a narrow majority on the committee that if they're missing Dianne Feinstein, they can't do the work. Uh, Ro Khanna, the first Democrat this week to come forward calling on Feinstein to resign because she clearly can't uh, do her duties. And we've since seen uh, Democrats rally around her, even though Feinstein admitted, yeah, you're right, I'm going to temporarily step back from the Judiciary Committee, although we haven't seen exactly how her seat is going to be temporarily filled. Um, But Nancy Pelosi uh, coming out swinging in defense of Dianne Feinstein, saying, quote, she deserves the respect to get well and be back on duty. And it's interesting to me. I don't know what political (laughs) agendas are at work that are going after Senator Feinstein in that way. I've never th- seen them go after a man who was sick in the Senate in that way. Yes, it's a uh, it's sexism to uh, request that the how many millions of people who live in California are represented by a lawmaker who can actually do their job. The thing about this is, is that this did happen in 2009 when Ted Kennedy and Robert Byrd were sick. And people did call for them to resign. And I think Ted Kennedy only didn't resign because there was some, the the, uh, the governor didn't get to appoint the replacement or there, there was some quirk in the law that he would have resigned if he was guaranteed that a Democrat would replace him. And yeah. like... Well, there was learn a Republican a, learn governor a, at the learn time. Learn a new song. Wasn't there Nancy. a Republican governor at the time? I don't think it was a Republican governor. It was just that um, it would have gone to a special election, and Democrats in the state are incompetent. I mean, you. Well, that's <laughs> what happened. They lost to Scott. I mean, that Brown. is what happened. It, it is what nominated happened. Nominated with a Martha Ted, Coakley, and she lost to Scott Brown. Yeah, Ted Kennedy called it. He uh, <laughs> he knew the Democrats were going to fuck that up. Yeah, I also seem to remember quite a lot of people telling Bernie Sanders he needs to drop out of the race in 2020 after he had his heart attack, that he is in uh, no condition to uh, to be president. I also, uh, you know, to be fair, a lot of us who are calling on Dianne Feinstein to step down have also said Joe Biden is not at all mentally capable to be president (laughs) and made that case for years uh, heading into the election. And yet you do have to concede that he's more mentally capable than than Dianne Feinstein right now. Yeah. And this isn't just Democratic men or or men online making this argument. Uh, For years now, there have been questions about Dianne Feinstein's mental fitness. The San Francisco Chronicle published a story. I think it was last year. Maybe it was two years ago in which a number of her colleagues spoke with the news outlet saying that after having conversations with Diane Feinstein, they're alarmed at her uh, ability to continue serving as a United States senator. They need, uh, what was it? The, the, what, what, what amendment is it that they invoke when the president's mentally incapacitated? The 25th, I think it's the 25th amendment. There was, it was all the rage when Trump was in office. And uh, yeah, 
They need that for senators. Just like if all the staff, well, I guess all the staff wouldn't do it because their job relies on Feinstein staying in office. But uh, my understanding, by the yes, way, it is, is the that 25th Amendment. It is the 25th Amendment. My understanding is that if they want to replace her on the Judiciary Committee and they want to do it quickly, they need to pass something by unanimous consent. So basically the, Rep- <laughs> the Republicans can stop them or at least delay them uh, <laughs> from replacing Feinstein on the on the committee. So she'll probably remain on the Judiciary Committee here. Oh yeah. I guess the real question is does the judici- does like does the Judiciary Committee actually need to hold votes on on uh, judges, you know, can't they just move it to the floor and just ram them through? Or, or, yeah. Oh, the norms. The norms. Yeah, that would, that would yeah, set a bad. Norm heads. The norm heads would be upset. Real norm by heads. Uh, Joe Manchin would vote against them on principle. <laughs> uh, we do have to assign some blame also to uh, Democratic voters in California who yes. uh, reelected Feinstein in 2018 when she was in her mid 80s. Um, uh, this is a party and uh, people who, not just a, a party of, not just the uh, leaders in the party, but also the voters in the party that have way too much deference to their sort of old guard members. Uh, we saw this with Ruth Bader Ginsburg when there were calls for her to step down from the Supreme Court when Obama was still in office and Democrats could have still appointed a, a liberal replacement. You saw a lot of backlash to those calls for her to step down from people being like, how dare you? She's earned the right to step down when she wants to step down. And that's pretty much the same argument you're seeing with Dianne Feinstein today. And of course, we know the conclusion of that argument when it came to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, Liberals have lost the court for a generation now as a result of her decision to stay on the court. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's unfashionable to uh, blame the voters, but I think the voters really have to take the L on this one. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's unfashionable to blame uh, voters who vote third party or don't vote at all. Uh, I'm okay blaming voters who vote for dipshit Democrats all the time. <laughs> Just like I'm okay with blaming voters who vote for dipshit Republicans. The people who withhold their vote or vote third party actually have a good reason to do so because these two... Parties are not looking out for their interests at all. Yeah. I guess the one uh, piece of good news here is that this problem will not last beyond 2024. Uh, Dianne Feinstein has said she will not seek reelection in 2024, even though she would probably be reelected by voters (laughs) in California. Uh. All right, Sam, uh, what are you cooking up for file follies this week? This week, we're taking a look at energy policy. The Biden administration is fresh off of spitting in the planet's face last month by approving the Willow Oil Project in Alaska, you know, the one that needs special chemicals to prop up extraction equipment to stop the permafrost from melting because oil is leading the planet toward heat death. The administration uh, is following this up by doing some more spitting this week. It is moving forward with plans to build extensive natural gas infrastructure, also in Alaska. 
The Department of Energy said this week that it found no reason to reject a plan first devised by state politicians in the energy industry nine years ago to create liquid natural gas export capabilities, transporting so-called LNG from Alaska's north to its south coast. To give you an idea of how huge this project would be, it would require 800 miles of pipeline, a distance roughly equivalent to driving from Manhattan to the Indiana-Missouri border. Critics say the maximum output would lead to 50 million tons of annual carbon dioxide emissions, which, if my calculations are correct, is roughly equivalent to the annual emissions produced by 10 trillion cars. That's based on the uh, calculation that 1 million tons of carbon dioxide emissions is produced by 216,000 cars in a year. One reason why the Biden administration is keen on this project is geopolitics, as you might have guessed from our previous segment, namely Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the impact that it's had on global energy markets. In filings released this week on the Alaska LNG project, the Department of Energy said it approved the plan after, quote, weighing the acknowledged but highly uncertain climate impacts against the economic and international security benefits. Highly uncertain climate impacts, huh? We're building some stuff that's like 10 trillion cars doing their annual rounds, but who can say if it's going to be bad for the climate or not? That sounds like climate denialism to me. Now, intriguingly, the uh, filings note some interagency beef over some of this stated uncertainty. Uh, the Environmental Protection Agency did not go as far as to call it climate denialism, but it did say that it had problems with DOE's environmental impact analysis, specifically with a DOE global greenhouse gas emissions model based on the assumption that other liquid natural gas will be used if gas from Alaska isn't extracted. Energy said that, stand back, we addressed the criticism because we drafted a dual scenario analysis to invest to uh, estimate the impact. And EPA replied basically by saying that's dumb as hell. <laughs> Two no action scenarios, the agency said, creates, quote, complexity for decision makers and the public in understanding and understanding the analysis presented. EPA recommended that DOE evaluate all scenarios to more accurately reflect cumulative greenhouse gas emissions effects. The filing said this week, uh, which hopefully means this has all been done very amateurishly and will get thrown out in court, but obviously that probably won't happen. Environmental groups said that this week's decision will increase Alaska's greenhouse gas emissions output by 30% while undermining the Biden administration's climate pledges. Now, there is a non-nefarious reason why the Department of Energy would say that the environmental impact here is uncertain. And reading now from background provided by Earth Justice, interest in gas will be waning by 2030. The earliest the Alaska Gas Line Development Corporation could expect to begin exporting LNG, the four countries that DOE assumes would receive gas from the project, Japan, South Korea, China, India, all have announced plans to expand their renewable energy usage. By the time this project would be built, there may no longer be any demand for it, leaving more stranded fossil fuel infrastructure across the state. 
Now, DOE itself admitted that there are uncertainties in global energy markets and uncertainties in, quote, supply and demand responses that would lead to net changes in production and consumption of Alaskan natural gas. The agency also said in a footnote that it, quote, takes no position on whether there will, in fact, be market demand for the approved exports, which seems like something you should take into account before greenlighting this, before greenlighting a fucking 800-mile spider web of pipelines designed to pump this shit to global markets. Yeah, and this, uh, this sort of disagreement between the Department of Energy and the EPA over this analysis uh, immediately reminded me of those stories from the Trump administration where EPA administrator Scott Pruitt would have those red team, blue team uh, debates about climate change where like within the department, he would ensure that the climate change is a hoax. It's not real. This isn't a concern view was represented like before any regulations were adopted. So he would have the issue be debated and be like, Oh, well there's uncertainty here. I guess we might as well approve it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the, it does seem like a classic pro-industry tactic to defer to uncertainty and to make these like ridiculous, to make this dual analysis sort of model where it's like on one hand, uh, you have, uh, you know, maybe they don't use LNG, maybe they use like solar wind, whatever, some oil, um, you know, it seems like that is kind of, what the base assumption should be and not, hey, if they don't use this LNG, they're just going to use LNG elsewhere. Yeah, especially when you have like the International Energy Agency issuing warnings every few months saying that in order to stop runaway global warming, all new fossil fuel extraction projects need to be stopped. There cannot be any approval of new fossil fuel extraction projects and we need to start rolling back the ones that are currently in operation so to to approve the willow project you have to ignore that and adopt this sort of hypothetical scenario that you just mentioned of well if we don't do it someone else will do it somewhere on the other side of the world so i guess it's a wash when it comes to climate change yeah, it's, you know, back to your original point about climate denialism is that maybe the EPA, to get its point across, should be like, you know what, this is straight up fucking climate denialism. Yeah, and, and I mean, the EPA has its own problems, right? Like, they engage in this shit, too, where they're not nearly as, uh, they're in many ways captured by fossil fuel industries that they're supposed to regulate as well. They're not doing enough. So if, if the EPA is like, uh, DOE, <laughs> this is kind of bullshit analysis, then it's really some bullshit analysis. Yeah, I mean, because on its face, it's ridiculous. Like, wh why bother doing any impact analysis if you're just going to be like, well, if, if, if they don't use these toxic chemicals, they'll use other toxic chemicals, you know? It's like th that analysis is built to fail. Yeah. Might as well not do anything. Which is the point of why they're yeah. doing it, obviously, yeah. why they're saying it. Anyway, you'd think that uh, the Department of Energy would have more confidence in possible demand when considering who is promoting the project. 
No need for Russian gas when hashtag America stands ready to supply it, tweeted U.S. Ambassador to Japan, Rahm Emanuel, last October. I love that Rahm did hashtag America. <laughs> what is it, like 2010? I mean, that should have been the last time we talked about Rahm Emanuel, to be fair. so Yeah, I, I forgot it, that, that he was the ambassador to Japan. Yeah. He was uh, at a meeting featuring elected officials from Alaska and Japanese industry leaders, quote, to discuss how Alaska LNG can provide stable, sustainable and affordable energy sources to Japan. It's just it's classic Rahm Emanuel. He's got to throw that sustainable in there. You can just imagine him trying that in Chicago and getting a shofar blown in his face. Yeah. And LNG is not even that much cleaner than fossil fuels when you take into account the the, the like the the methane releases that are a part of the process that uh, and methane being a far more potent greenhouse gas than carbon emissions. Like this idea that that L- we're going to LNG our way to solving the climate crisis is a capitalist myth created by LNG companies. Yeah, I mean, it also just, to anyone who's grown up watching, like, the, uh, you know, how how the oil industry and how freaking out about peak oil has, has characterized um, the political economy for, like, the last three decades, it's like, okay, the shit's going to run out eventually, right? Like, stop with the shit. We have renewable sources, like, ah, ah. <laughs> all right, I'm good. All right. Uh, as always, you can uh, slide into our DMs or email us any uh, files that you come across or any FOIA ideas that you'd like yeah. us to discuss on future shows. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Slide into the DMs and uh, tell me something to FOIA. We don't think it's creepy at all if you slide into our DMs. We like it, in fact. All right. I guess we have to uh, do the dirty deed. Someone's got to do it. Interns, bring out the garbage can. Oh, damn. Oh. Oh. It's so bad, dude. It's so bad. Ah. Oh. Oh, I was going to make a joke, but it was too edgy even for me. <laughs> Usually yeah. when you say that, you end up making the joke anyway. I don't think I... I you're going to have to DM me for this one, people, okay. is, is all I'll say. In turns, uh, that's good right there. Thank you. Garbage candidate... Number one, Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, who is now trying really, really hard to pardon a man convicted of murdering a Black Lives Matter protester in Austin back in 2020. Now, Abbott is a guy who barely pardons anybody. I think over the last and first off, he doesn't have the power to pardon people. It's this commission in Texas of people that he appointed who recommend pardons and then he approves them. I think over the last two years, Abbott's only approved 10 pardons. Um, 
these are out of hundreds and hundreds of requests. So this guy generally does not like pardoning people. All right. So uh, last week, a jury in Texas convicted Daniel Perry guilty, convicted him of murdering uh, a guy named Garrett Foster. Uh, What Perry did was he drove his car into a Black Lives Matter protest in Austin, uh, drove up alongside Foster, who Foster was carrying an AK-47 legally. And Perry just shot him five times and killed him. And he told police, he admitted to police that uh, Foster never pointed his gun at him, but that Perry killed him before he could point his gun at him. And that under the state's stand your ground laws, he's allowed to do that. Well, uh, the jury didn't agree. They convicted him. Uh, They were presented with evidence, uh, previous comments, uh, messages that Perry made online about how he wanted to go kill Black Lives Matter protesters. And then that's what he went out and did. So days after this conviction is handed out, before there's even sentencing, so We don't even know what Perry's sentence is here that would need to be uh, commuted or or forgiven or pardoned. Uh, We've got the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, saying that he's instructed this pardoning commission to look into this issue and send recommendations to his desk so he can approve it. Yeah, they just want to straight up legalize killing left wing people is really what it comes down to. Yeah, and and this week you saw uh, Kyle Rittenhouse doing uh, the rounds on conservative media in defense of Daniel Perry. Um, Rittenhouse, of course, was uh, found not guilty when he, after previously saying he wanted to go shoot looters who were Black Lives Matter protesters, went and drove to Kenosha and killed two people. Uh, who were Black Lives Matter protesters. Yeah, I mean, the flip side of this is that, like, surely we have the right to kill conservatives now because they're, like, killing us without, you know, on on the theory that we might kill them. Yeah, <laughs> so ask, now we got to kill them. Now yeah, we have to fucking kill them. Yeah, ask Michael Reinhold how that works out. Yeah, true. Um, The right is allowed to kill left-wing protesters and get away with it. But if the left, and even in an act of self-defense, were to kill a right-wing protester, then the state will fucking murder you. Murder you. But don't call it fascism. Don't call it fascism because we have competitive elections. And the president of the United States will brag about it. That's what will happen. But we can put out this podcast. This isn't fascism. No one's shutting down our podcast. Don't call it fascism. Garbage candidate number two, Ron DeSantis. Meatball Ron, the Florida governor, just signed a six-week abortion ban. No abortions allowed in the state after six weeks. This is one of the most restrictive anti-abortion laws in the country. Florida, the second most populated state in the country to ban the medical procedure now. As someone who's from Florida, I'm fairly surprised that this is happening. Like, I know that Florida is now a pretty reliably red state in 
presidential elections. But Florida has a lot of universities and a lot of young people who live there and a lot of old people who live there, but a lot of young people live in Florida. This is this is pretty wild. Well, one wonders if um if there may be a little put off of uh voting when Ron DeSantis just straight up fucking arrest people for trying to vote. Yeah. You know, like if you live in one part of the state and go to university in the other and you're afraid that, you know, you maybe there's confusion about what address you're registered at and you try to vote and boom, arrested. Well, I mean, to the extent that lawmakers are supposed to consider whether or not the policies they're enacting are at all in line with the what their constituents want. Like, this is a deeply unpopular thing in Florida right here. Right. But I'm just saying, like, DeSantis, like... Doesn't care. He doesn't... Like, the Republican Party just runs the state as it wants now, like, clearly. And, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, I don't know. I'm not trying to say that DeSantis definitely rigged the election for himself, but... <laughs> Donald Trump will be accusing him of that in a few weeks. Well, and and he should be. He should be. The yeah. only person we're going to get this sort of like legit, like forceful criticism of DeSantis from is Trump because Florida Democrats are the worst. The worst. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess DeSantis thinks doing something like this might help his chances in the presidential uh, uh, primary. They won't. No. He's already, he's dead man <laughs> no walking. Chance. No he's chance. He's a dead man walking in that race. No chance. Uh, Trump cut a new ad, by the way, uh, about putting fingers to Santos. I don't know if you've seen that ad yet, but it's pretty <laughs> putting devastating. Fingers to, putting fingers Ron? Well, it's, it's, it's got an actor who's supposed to be Ron DeSantis, just nastily eating a pudding cup with three fingers. And then it's talking about how DeSantis's dirty pudding fingers are all over policies to cut Medicare and Social Security. Pretty effective ad. Wow. Garbage he's, candidate. He's done. He's done. <laughs> yes. Garbage candidate number three, Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey. Sky announced an emergency regulation this week that basically cuts off gender affirming health care, not just for young people in the state, as we've seen conservatives do around the country, but for adults. Reading from uh, Vice here, which reported on this story, the emergency rule makes it impossible for transgender people of all ages to access gender affirming care unless they have exhibited a medically documented long-lasting, persistent, and intense pattern of gender dysphoria for three years. They also have to prove they've received a full psychological or psychiatric assessment and 15 separate hourly sessions of therapy, at least 10 of which must be with the same therapist. So basically enacting hurdles that most people will not be able to clear in order to get gender-affirming care. And even if they are able to clear it, it will take them years and years of suffering before they can have access to this health care. Uh, the emergency rule also requires that any pre-existing health, mental health conditions such as anxiety and depression are treated before any affirming care can be provided. And it prohibits people with autism from receiving this care. 
Wow. And also providers have to ensure that patients aren't suffering from a, quote, social contagion. Ah, back to the old fascism point. Motivating them to want to get this this care. It's pretty oh, bad. Oh, man. That's, this one's pretty bad. We'll just this is awful. This is fucking <laughs> awful, dude. Garbage cannon number four, San Francisco crime hawks. Talking about people like Elon Musk, David Sachs, and someone named Michelle Tandler, who I didn't know about until this week when she decided to start posting on Twitter that we should consider bringing back public executions of drug addicts. Uh, lots of people, like those who I just mentioned, seized on the death of tech CEO Bob Lee, who was stabbed to death in San Francisco, to call for more police enforcement against homeless and drug-addicted people, or in the case of Tandler, call for public executions to be brought back. Well, it turns out Lee wasn't killed by a homeless person or someone addicted to drugs. Lee was killed by another tech guy. Someone that Lee knew. Someone that Lee was riding in the car with when he was stabbed. Now, this person has since been arrested. Do you think that Elon Musk and David Sachs, no relation, by the way, and Michelle Tandler and all these other dipshits who made a big deal of this are going to apologize and admit they were wrong? Fuck no, they're not. So we've got to nominate them for the garbage can. Yeah, a lot of people who uh, supported the recall of Chase Abud and, uh, you know, they. Every murder in San Francisco before was attributed to him. And uh, now they're, you know, it's it's just, it, oh, it's the homeless people. No, it's your tech friends. Yeah. Garbage candy number five, Packers Sanitation Services, Inc., Name might be familiar to some of our listeners. It's the same company that got busted earlier this year, breaking child labor laws more than a hundred times. It had more than a hundred kids doing dangerous work, cleaning out slaughterhouses with using uh, dangerous machinery and chemicals and working overnight hours that aren't supposed to, that people under the age of 18 aren't supposed to work. Well, Packers Sanitation Services had over 100 kids working there. Uh, the problem is that the highest fine for child labor law violations is only $15,000, a little over $15,000. So Packers Sanitation paid a $1.5 million fine. And that really wasn't enough to deter behavior because according to a new NBC investigation, the company is still breaking child labor laws. NBC spoke with a 16-year-old migrant who came to the United States uh, alone from Guatemala who now works at Packer Sanitation Services. Quote, from 11 p.m. to 6 a.m., Pedro is responsible for hauling, hauling away animal parts in a cart, scrubbing blood off the floors and cleaning machines with harsh chemicals. Pedro said he suffered severe burns from the cleaning chemicals that he has to use, but he has to keep on working. Yeah, uh, this 
particular company should be taken over by the state and uh, its executives should be stripped of all their personal assets. It's just my personal opinion. Not only was this company already busted for child labor, it was one of, uh, I think, 28 companies that last week Senate Democrats wrote a letter to asking them to double check their policies to make sure they're not employing kids. Uh, hey, guys, just wanted to double check with you. Uh, <laughs> Want to make sure you're not violating child labor laws uh, anymore. There are things that the government could do to stop this sort of stuff. I mean, at the bare minimum, they could increase fines from more than 15000 I mean, $15,000 is like nothing. That uh, is worth the risk to employ a child who you can pay $15,000 less to do the job than an adult that you would have to pay to do the job. So it's worth it to take the risk already to employ kids. Uh, so you could increase those fines. That would require Congress. That would require conservatives in Congress, which they won't do. Um, but the other Never. thing that the Biden administration could do is there's a provision under the Fair Labor Standards Act that would allow authorities to take products off the market that were created with child labor. So the government could essentially go in and shut down Packer Sanitation Services for using child labor, but they're not doing that. There's no discussion of doing that. Um, so you just have to gather that ultimately... Our policymakers are okay with this. They're okay with this. Yeah. Also, the death penalty is still on the books. So yes, yes. You know, just try the old corporate death penalty. <laughs> That's all. All I'm saying. Yeah. Brings me no yeah, pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Corporate, corporate <laughs> death penalty. Yeah. Yeah. That's brings what I'm me no pleasure about. to uh, admit this. <laughs> all right. Garbage candidate number six, Dan Snyder. Boo. Yes, Dan Snyder, who was the rich dick on Means Morning News, going for the double this week. The dude's about to walk away from decades of crime doing as the owner of the Washington football team with $6 billion in his pocket. Jesus. A deal has been agreed to. Snyder purchased the Reds, or he purchased when it was called the Redskins, the Washington football team. He purchased it back in 1999 for like $800 million. And reports are he's agreed to a deal to sell it for $6 billion. It's the uh, most expensive sale of a professional sports team in history. Uh, Snyder has been accused of running a toxic environment. He's had to settle allegations of sexual harassment. There are really disturbing stories of cheerleader calendar shoots in which they uh, were spied on and had videos made of them topless without their consent. They were required to serve as escorts for bigwigs at the team and sponsors of the team. Uh, there's also the long history of financial misdealings in which uh, Snyder allegedly kept two sets of books to hide from the NFL how profitable the team was so he wouldn't have to share profits mm. with the league. Uh, allegations of defrauding season ticket holders out of a refundable deposit. The list goes on and on. Uh, Snyder has also presided over some dismal football while owner of the team uh, had a losing record. I think during his tenure, it was the 27th worst team in the league. If you look at their record over the last 24 years, 
only won two playoff games in that span of time. Uh, presided over two quarterbacks suffering horrible injuries uh, and not taking any care for them whatsoever. Um, this guy sucks. And he's like I said, he's going to walk away with $6 billion in his pocket. Uh, yeah, at one point he tried to uh, sue the local alt-weekly, the Washington City paper out of existence for running a cover story on how much he sucks. And this was like <laughs> 13 years ago. And uh, bad dude. Just yeah, during his the, assets. During the Great Recession when some season ticket holders were unable to make their payments on their tickets uh, because they had fallen on financial hardship and lost their jobs and stuff. Uh, he sued the shit out of them. Mm, uh, what a team what a that guy. made hundreds of millions of dollars in profit was suing their own season ticket holders during a awful recession. What a guy. Who is going in the can this week, though, Sam? <sighs> I had such a strong reaction to the uh, Missouri Attorney General nomination. Um but I also kind of like all these governors are just so horrible. They're so yeah. awful. I mean, Greg Abbott, are you kidding me? I don't know. What What are you thinking? Where do you stand here? I mean, I think I'd get the most schadenfreude throwing in the San Francisco crime hawks in there, like Musk <laughs> and all them. But you're right. I think that like Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey, this is just some really despicable shit. And I don't even know who this guy is, so I'm not sure. You know, I know we've never thrown him in the garbage can before, and I'm not sure we're going to have a chance to. And I'm sure we probably will have a chance to in the future based on this. But strike while the iron's hot, as they say. Let's throw this guy's ass in the garbage can. Missouri, Missouri Attorney, Attorney General, General Andrew yeah. Bailey, you, you are, are going, going in the garbage, garbage can. can. Uh, take oh. a seat in the garbage can. Show me, steak. Show me your ass in the garbage can, Andrew. Uh, <laughs> uh, cheers. I'll have a woke Bud Light to that. That's the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks Which is ironically for... from a company that's based in Missouri. Oh, how about that? Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. No podcast next week. I'm getting married. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks with a rebranded podcast. Two guys complaining about their wives. <laughs> What? I did not agree to that joke before this. No, we're wife guys because we love our wives. That's ah. what makes us wife guys. Ah. I didn't. I haven't, I, I'm not a wife guy yet. I don't know this stuff. I haven't gotten the memo yet. Well, when you go to wife guy orientation, we will set you on the right path to uh, loving and worshiping your wife as you should. Spoken like a spoken like a true wife guy. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll be seeing you in two weeks. We're here in DC, so you don't have to be. <laughs>